I could not sit in front of somebody and say, honestly, I'm really struggling with this because I believe that articulating my struggle and articulating the thing that I was really, that wasn't a strength was actually a weakness when in reality. Welcome to the Raw and Real podcast. Are you dreaming of changing your life through opening a business or are you curious what obstacles entrepreneurs had to overcome on their journey? Then you're in the right place. My name is Agnes Billig and I'm your host. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real. Today's guest on the show is serial entrepreneur Evan Stewart. He's the founder of the Obsessed Academy, a professional training and coaching company that helps people identify their gifts and live a life in alignment with them. Thank you so much for joining me today, Evan. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I really am glad that we can make this happen. And you know, that's the beauty of technology is we can get connected from different spots in the world and, and share a great conversation. So I'm looking forward to this. Totally. I'm super excited to get to know more about you. Can you first tell us a bit about the way you grew up and the influences that shaped you along the way? Sure, absolutely. Thank you for asking. I think so many people want to talk about right now, they neglect that where we've been really shaped who we are. So uh, in short, in a nutshell, I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised in beautiful Dallas, Texas. So my family actually came to Dallas, Texas generations ago on a covered wagon, if you can believe it. So we've been here for, <laughs> for a long time. But, but I think some of my biggest influences was growing up, I grew up in a family that was very entrepreneurial. And so there's been a couple of different sides of my personality that have had opportunities to shine as I've been growing in different moments and seasons in my life. But the one consistent has been the entrepreneurial side. And so when I say entrepreneurial, I'm not talking about the kind of hustle and grind mentality of, oh, I'm going to just, you know, get my hands dirty. And I'm talking about the mindset and the anatomy of if there is a problem, then, I, then I'm the one that is to fix it. Because I think the entrepreneurial DNA flows into other aspects of our life, not just professional. And so my father was an entrepreneur, very successful. And my, my great uncle was an entrepreneur who was extremely, extremely successful. And so growing up, I had these, these mentors. I have an amazing family. We have, you know, brother and, and sister and, you know, amazing mom and dad. And, and our family is together, which is a blessing in our life. I had an opportunity to have a solid foundation there. But one of the big things was, as I was growing up, I had all these lessons that were learned, but rooted in kind of entrepreneurial DNA. If I wanted something, I had to bring a, a solution at the time before I could go out, right, you know, to the family. So whether it's yard work or housework, I had to bring a solution to be able to earn, to be able to buy the thing that I wanted. As I grew up, I would start to have conversations like with my great uncle, for example, I remember when I was young, one of the conversations that we shared at his home, we were, you know, just playing cards and he was an, an older gentleman. So we get together and we talk and we, we play cards and whatnot. I guess if I was it, a, a man at the time, instead of a kid, it'd be a good time to have a beer or something. But, but at the time I remember we're playing cards and he's asking questions about, you know, what problems are you having at school? And I'd explain and, and he would continue to say, well, who else do you think has those problems? You know, he's dealing cards and we're sitting there and we're playing games and stuff. And I said, oh, I think my friend has this and maybe my friend struggles with this. So how much do you think they would give you to solve a problem like that? And so growing up, that mentality of those types of conversations were the types of conversations that I had. And so when I started to really break away and move, you know, as I was growing up through adolescence and start developing my own mindset and my own adjustments, so much of my decision-making was rooted in a similar foundation to those conversations, right? Agnes, who do you know in your life that has a similar problem? How much do you think they would give you for that? And where do you think that exists? Where do you think that problem comes from? And so, so much of my life has been shaped through loving family, which is, I definitely understand the blessing of that through those mentors early on. And then of course, through growing up and trying to start my own endeavors, which we'll get into. But the foundation of how I move now truly is the beginnings of those conversations, which really goes back to that entrepreneurial DNA. And from a parent perspective, what would you say to, to a mom or a dad if they want to raise their kid in an entrepreneurial way? What's the best way to do that? Because obviously it had the mm. big influence on you and it worked out well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I will say that I'm not a parent yet. <laughs> So, you know, hopefully my, my wife and I will be have that opportunity in the future. Um, so I, I'll speak from experience and kind of hindsight being 2020 20, uh, in relation to being on the other side of that. But my thought is so many people, when they're thinking of 
trying to raise, because really when people want to raise an entrepreneur, what they're really saying is I want, I believe I want to raise a strong man or woman who's actually living a life on purpose, living a life that they are inspired, fascinated, and motivated by solving problems for the greater humanity. Those are really the thoughts behind that term of entrepreneur. I think job security just means someone else has the power to fire you. That's it. And the entrepreneur is security, inspiration, fascination, motivation, et cetera. So the first thing is recognize behind what you would actually really want for your children, whether that comes out in an entrepreneurial uh, DNA or not, you can still raise an individual that is, in fact, ignited when they wake up and fulfilled when they come home. That's the first thing is the recognition. The second thing that I would uh, speak to is that the biggest thing I believe you can do is inspire your child to have the curiosity and the forethought to recognize and solve problems. Because at the end of the day, that's all this entrepreneurial concept is, is an individual that recognizes and solves problems. And so often I will see individuals teaching their children that they have the solution instead of that the solution exists and you should be curious to find it. And so speaking into what, how my wife and I are planning on moving when we're blessed with the opportunity to have children in the future is that I believe that my son or daughter is a uniquely created individual and has a unique gift to solve a problem that has yet to be solved by anyone else. And that I want to ignite in them the curiosity and the willingness to find it and then apply themselves towards it. And that muscle, I think, really is where the whole thing stems from. Because if they're not entrepreneurial, if they decide to go into a different profession or to solve problems another way, that DNA translatable across really all avenues of life and trying to build success, in my opinion. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, and in general, before you started Obsessed Academy and went into personal development, uh, you had a real estate mm -hmm. company, which is quite a switch. Mm -hmm. So why did you end up in real estate in the first place? Well, if you want me to be extremely honest with you, <laughs> this is the brutal, honest truth. I wish I had some like really cool gold star story. But honestly, Agnes, I was, I had left a small company that I had started. I had a little, I mean, it wasn't anything successful by my standards now, but at the time it was my first actual organization that I had started, grew, and then eventually exited in a very small way. So I had a little taste of something that was uh, entrepreneurial and starting to get a little baby success. And I was kind of, kind of an ass, actually. I was pretty egotistical and I was looking for work and I was bored and I my ego got in the way of me accepting the job position at Target. Mm -hmm. And I had answered an ad on Craigslist at the time for someone who was looking for a real estate assistant because I wanted to start learning the industry. Um, I didn't have a bit of an ego at the time. And so I thought, well, I can be somebody here. And when I spoke with the individual that had put out the ad, he said, well, you should become an agent. And I'd never thought of it at the time I was still in, in, in school and in college and university. And I thought, well, I, I, I haven't graduated. He, oh, no, you don't need to do that. You just need to get your license. So I thought, okay. So, you know, about a couple months later, I, I had my license. And that's literally how I started. And day one, I was brought into an office. And I remember this clearly. I was brought into this, this room with this old desk. And it had all these binders with dust on them. And the manager had said, you, these are everyone who had called into our brokerage in the last you know, couple of years, you need to call them back to see if they can buy and sell, if they're interested in buying or selling a house. And at the time, I had such little experience. Agnes, if you told me how much is this house worth, I didn't even know how to look up the price in the multiple listing service because I didn't even have my password yet. So <laughs> it was a rocky, rocky start. And I have been humbled throughout the experience and and I believe really lost to that need to be affirmed from an ego standpoint. But at the time, actually my desire to try and be somebody instead of taking a job, which at the time I thought was beneath me learning now that, that there's no real such thing. But um, that was the reason why I moved in <laughs> into the industry and then never looked back. And what were the skills that you learned during that time? Um, also what shaped you personally? Mm that proved very valuable for your journey currently in personal development coaching? Mm, absolutely. There were a couple of things that were huge. First of all, I mean, there's no hiding it. I'm a young man, right? 
Uh, I was even younger, seven and a half years ago, when I got into real estate. And in fact, uh, I was 19 when I got into real estate. I got, I, I was kind of playing around in 18, but I was officially licensed, gonna do it, 19, no beard, no experience, wet behind the ears. It, it was it was crazy. So the very first thing that I had learned was how to fight, truly fight for what you want. I believe in this concept of education over speculation. And I believe that an educated individual is the only way to overcompensate for a lack of experience. And during that time, the very first thing that I had learned was the importance of how you can actually go after and sell yourself when you don't have experience. So when I say sell yourself, it's getting yourself in the rooms where there are opportunities presented to you. Because when somebody says, you know what, I'm a little bit worried that, uh, you know, so-and-so has more experience. What they're really saying is, I am concerned that if I commit myself to you, that you can't execute. Because people aren't afraid of commitment, they're afraid of committing to a bad decision. And when you say, I have 10 years of experience, that sounds like a better decision than I have none. And in most cases it is, I don't blame them. And so learning how to fight for those deals and to have those conversations and to master objections and to really navigate was the first big takeaway. And the second one was as I started pushing and pushing, you know, success isn't complicated. People were asking, how did you do so much in seven years, you know, to go from zero to, I, you know, by the grace of God, ended in the top 1% of professionals in my state and had a $35 million company and, and all of those things, which is all fine and good, but it's not complicated. It was, I didn't go out, I didn't holiday, I didn't do anything, I dropped out of university and I dedicated seven years, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 hour days for six and seven days straight for seven years on one specific niche goal. And in that time, a couple years into it, I started gaining momentum because I was working hard. And from a price point standpoint, I started upping my price point to get into fancier and fancier and fancier properties. So I went from uh, hundreds of thousands, so standard, great little homes for starter families and just average individuals. And I started working my way up to by the time I had exited, I was working with multi, 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 multi-million dollar mansions and estates. And the reason why I bring that up is because something else happened in there as well, which is A, in order for you to compete at that level, you have to really pour into yourself. And I started to discover during that journey how important it was for personal development, how important it was to, to really fortify my, my mind and my habits. There's a quote by Archelius that I love, which is, we do not rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our habits. And so I started developing rhythms and routines in the five areas that complete a person, personal, financial, spiritual, relational, professional. I started touching these areas of my life that I wanted to be better in and setting goals in each one so I could focus. But as I started moving up and started getting higher and higher and higher level, you know, some of my clients now are literally, or, or my clients that, that are friends now, but that were clients are literally, I mean, one of them's a billionaire. One of them has, uh, I dealt a lot with professional athletes. I dealt a lot with uh, people who were actors and influencers in that space. And I started competing and getting into these circles that were higher up. One of the biggest things that I learned during that time, which I think is so invaluable, is an art of communication at a really high level. And so here's the beautiful thing about getting into rooms with people that are high level is by default, when you get into that room, they consider that you are high level as well, or you wouldn't have been able to make your way to them. And you have to be at some point. but it doesn't necessarily mean you're on the same level. What bridges that gap usually is education over speculation. You got to know what you're talking about. And then communication. So when you get in front of that individual, what do you say? And I had learned through that time, Agnes, in professional development and personal development. But another thing I had done, which was huge, is I take my phone, put it in my suit pocket. I used to wear suits all the time. Now I'm, I, I'm a little more casual now, but I put it in my suit pocket. Yeah. And I would voice record. And I would record myself all the time. Yeah. Right? Not to overuse the word. I was obsessed. I was getting <laughs> obsessive because you and I both know, I mean, you're, you're doing uh, an amazing show. You're in an in industry and in communication. And we know, as you've probably seen that, you know, you get into the show, you start listening to yourself. Sometimes the things that we speak are not interpreted the way that we expect. Mm -hmm. And so I started recognizing if I was the one that was listening to myself speak, whether it's professionally or personally, would it be interpreted the way that I expected it to when I spoke it? And sometimes the answer was yes. Okay, what specifically about that created that yes? How can I duplicate that? Sometimes the answer was no. Hey, what specifically about like, I would listen back and think, wow, I, I sound kind of not, that's not what I meant at all. 
Did you just and analyze it by yourself or did you get also friends to listen to it and get their opinion on it? Sometimes I would get friends, but honestly, what most of it was, was coming back after a long day, getting my phone, putting it on the desk, sitting like this, pressing play and just listening and writing. And I would listen back for, for hours. I would be, I had a speaker when I would be in the shower because my days were so long. I didn't have much free time. I would play it when I'd be showering and I'd be listening and I would hear something. And then I would step out and with my wet finger, I'd push the phone as uh, as a little marker on my voice memos. Here's a marker where something was wrong. And 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 I just had learned this communication. And um, now, obviously, in a space of communication, which really is communicating with a deeper sense of what you're able to accomplish, uh, that is the one tool that has become invaluable to what we do today. And uh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity in real estate to be able to learn those skills outside of basic professional skills, you know, sales and whatnot. Those were the, the biggest key factors. And convincing people was one of the biggest obstacles for you and that they would really trust you and choose you. So uh, what did you apply to gain their trust in the end? Mm, I love that. Um, education over speculation. You have to know what you're talking about. And then this concept of being able to master objections. So understanding where that comes from, like, hey, if you don't trust me, I get that. That makes sense, right? I don't have experience and we haven't worked together. Why would you trust me? So it was an understanding that, first of all, it's okay. Like speaking to myself, right? It's okay. Totally makes sense. Not a problem. But the second component was starting to understand this concept of that, that lack of trust is just an objection. So what specifically are they not trusting? And I would start to have conversations about that, which is ironically, now that what we do, one of the, the proprietary systems we teach is is uh, our Mastering Objections Masterclass. We've got 17 modules on breaking down the anatomy of how to get through those conversations. This is where it began was starting to break it down. Uh -huh. So I would say, I don't trust you. And I'd start to listen. And I would, yep, that makes sense. I understand. I take, re I take responsibility for everything. Agnes, I take responsibility for that. We haven't worked together. You don't know me and I don't have experience. It makes sense. If you don't mind me asking, hey, what specifically about how I act as a professional do you not believe aligns with your expectations? And I would start shifting my conversations like that, where it wasn't as much convincing, but unrooting, right? Because really what the problem is, I don't trust you. Really, there's a deeper thing there that we need to get to because it's not an objection because it's general. Objections are specific, complaints are general. I don't trust you. I totally get that. That's the wrapping. There's something deeper there. Mm -hmm. Hey, what specifically about what I've explained do you not believe aligns with your expectations? And then you get the people that say, oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's, it's just this. Oh, okay. So what you're really stating is that you're afraid of committing to a bad decision. And I respect that. But now let's break down the concept of why going with me and my lack of experience is the reason you need me, not the reason you don't. I would have these conversations with people and I would say, you know, my lack of experience is the reason you need to go with me, not the reason you don't. Because <laughs> unlike other agents, you're right. I don't have the experience. I was born as fast as I could and I got here as fast as I could. But I'm so little experience. I have such little experience that my manager, another agent, and a contract to close coordinator are all going to be on this deal at the same time, which means that I cannot promise you that I can lean back on a decade of experience, but I can promise you, you'll get multiple hands for the price of one. And since I am new and I believe in relational over transactional business, my goal is for this to be the smoothest, most uncompromising, incredible transaction you've ever had and be a resource for you continuing to move forward. And knowing that this is one of my first, I can commit to you that that is my only goal. And so my question to you, quite simply, is what's more important to you, that type of relationship or the agent that comes in having a little bit of experience under their belt, because I can only offer one. And you would start having those types of conversations. And the answer is pretty clear. It's like, well, actually, I would love that relationship. And then people would give me a try. And then before you know it, you can, you know, you produce results and it starts snowballing. Wow, that sounds really powerful. <laughs> and, Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, when you moved into the personal development space, you mm -hmm. had to also change your own identity. And I, I bet also your own belief system about yourself and what you were capable of. So what were like the hardest limiting beliefs that you had to overcome? Mm, that's good. That's good. Um, and, and you're right. I'll, I'll answer the, I'll reverse it. I'll answer limiting beliefs first. Uh, the biggest limiting belief that I had to overcome, which now I'm, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but it's such an important part of how I moved during that time, which was that I wasn't good enough on my own to do these things and I needed help. 
And this is not a arrogant, oh, I can do everything. But at the end of the day, so many of us think we need help. And, and I'm not talking about mentorship. I'm talking about partnership, right? You start your show. Oh, I could bring in a partner. I mean, so many of us have these thoughts early on. I can bring in a partner. Usually that stems from a doubt or an uncertainty that you are enough to accomplish. Most of us think we need help when in reality, we need time to figure it out. And I had some of my biggest falls were from partnerships that were ununioned, from partnerships that were on the surface together, but deep down, um, I mean, I was in two partnerships that were very destructive. One individual was verbally abusive and she didn't work. And, and um, it, it, there was so much negativity there that it stinted my growth instead of helped it. Um, I mean, I've lost, I was, I had added it up out of curiosity for a show that wanted a number and it was, you know, give or take a million dollars of my own money over the last seven years to bad partnerships and, and opportunities that didn't pan out because of partnerships. And so the biggest limiting belief that I really had to fight through was as a young man, you know, I had looked at my business and I looked at my numbers and I had started, I started recognizing I was onto something really when I crossed that 12 to $15 million mark. And I know that sounds crazy because it's such a big number, but deep down, I, I didn't think I was really doing okay. Like I would still build and still build and still build, but I still had that limiting belief of it's not enough and I'm not enough. And it wasn't until, ironically, it wasn't until 2018 when I started the process of moving out and then eventually I fully exited in 2019. So this is overcoming. This is actually within the last couple of years, it's pretty new that I started to truly recognize that actually I just needed time. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you have a listener or someone who's watching this or someone who's listening to the show, that's thinking that they really, really, really need that partnership. The question that I, that I always implore individuals to ask now, because I had to work through this is do you believe that the invaluable and unduplicatable component that they bring to the relationship is the difference between the business blowing up or the business failing? And that is what so many people will use as the qualifier now, because looking back at my relationships, A, I wouldn't be able to even find the invaluable and unduplicatable component. And B, if I had thought that way, I could have saved myself a lot of heartache. And so if you're young, if you're listening to this, uh, if you're not young or you're young in experience and, and you, you're not a 19-year-old kid trying to make it happen, but maybe you're in something new, especially right now with COVID, so many people are pivoting. I just encourage you to give yourself, you know, you had my friend Rocky on the show a couple of weeks ago where his concept is grace and space. Give yourself grace and space and the ability to forgive and an environment to where you, you can move with certainty that you're still making progress, even if it's slower than you anticipated. So as far as my limiting belief, that was the big one. Mm -hmm. And it, it's so freeing to be on the other side of that. It of took course. many years, it took many years, <laughs> many years. The personal development side, the big thing for me and, and how I, I switched was A, I loved what I did and it blessed my family with great financial opportunity. And, but I tell you what, I came home so drained, Agnes, there's two ways you can come home. You can come home where you're, maybe you're physically tired, but you know, deep down, it's like, man, I had it. A good day. You have a great day. It's full of podcasts. It's great people. They're engaged. You you can be tired, but you think this is a great day, right? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but there's another way you can come home exhausted. It's like maybe you've been beat up all day. You've just been punched all day. And every day I came home like that. And people saw the outside of you know we moved into a beautiful home and we started doing fancy things and we took nice trips and we kind of did the things we started living the life but what people didn't see was deep down they didn't see that i was exhausted i was spiritually exhausted mm -hmm. i was tired of coming home to a wife that was asleep and getting up and leaving when she was asleep and then justifying to her that i'm actually present because i'm working and in reality i wasn't and i knew deep down that there was a fault there that i couldn't fix in that work and and they saw the outside but they didn't see the cracks starting to form beneath like well, wait a minute, I'm saying that I'm supposed to be doing these things for my family, and yet I'm no longer present for those I care about in the name of family, and I'm starting to, to, to sacrifice both. And, and so I'm, I'm, there was that thought in my mind, this unfulfillment, this need to impact people. And then something happened. You know, we have that revelation, uh, that, that moment. I, I talk about how revelation is like that gnawing at your being. It's not yeah. the world opening up. It's that little gnawing. And I have this thought. I'm like, I bet I can do more. 
And it, it was it was affirmed when one day I remember this so vividly. I was driving in my car. I even remember I was taking a loop on the highway. I know exactly where I was. And I had a call from an individual that asked me a question. I started building a little bit of success. Part of my nature is to challenge, teach, and grow. And so um, I was in that teaching nature. And somebody had called with a question. I have this issue. I know you've been through this. I'd love your advice. So I give my advice. Okay, great. Then a couple of days later, another individual, completely unrelated, in a different city, calls and asks the exact same question. And I give a very similar answer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh. That's interesting. And so she says, wow, this is so helpful. Do you coach? And I oh, said, wow. sure. I said, look, I'll, I mean, I'll <laughs> coach you. Yeah. I said, uh, uh, she said, how much? I said, I don't know, a, a thousand bucks. You know, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. She goes, a thousand bucks a month. That sounds great. I'm in. And I thought, huh. And, uh, <laughs> and I had that conversation with a couple other people. And before I know it, by the end of the month, I actually had, you know, I think it was five, five or six individuals that I was starting to work with. And so I thought, ding, that was that revelation, right? Hey, there's something there. Uh-huh. And I started that. This was years and years ago. So it was before what Obsessed Academy is today. But I started recognizing these patterns in my work that were teachable and duplicatable. Yeah. I started recognizing points of ambiguity that people were living in, not just in real estate, because I had in, in, experience in other industries as well, but that these things that people were struggling with were really transferable building the right culture, mastering objections, building a sales cycle, establishing processes, how to actually build that bulletproof mental resiliency. Not in a unicorn and daisies way, but how do you make sure that your people come to work inspired and leave fulfilled? Or if you are that person, how do you build a life you can be obsessed about? And so those patterns and answering those questions and that thing that was growing, eventually my real estate company's here and this is kind of down here, but it starts to go like this. Uh And at the end of 2018 is when we passed and then, of course, the exit was finalized in, in um, 2019 when I, I sold the company and then moved into OA. And you were already cracking on the inside earlier. Um, why couldn't you talk about it? I, I just felt I felt that talking about that was was weak. I felt, you know, I had this identity like as a man, I need to deal with it. Right. And, and I think different individuals in different parts of the world struggle with different things but especially uh here i think worldwide there's this 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 concept that like men just have to take crap and deal with it you know and um and i i i'd fallen into that fallacy it's not true it's i don't believe it at all you know but i don't anymore but at the time it was you know i had heard these sayings like you don't have to love the work, but you have to love the end result and it makes the work worth it. You, and, and that's, that's a quote from, from Tim Grover, which I think is amazing because we're not going to love everything that we do, but what happens when you hate, when you despise what you're doing because the end result is breaking, you know? And so I felt, honestly, I thought it was weak. Like we would not be able to sit down and have this conversation three years ago. I could not sit in front of somebody and say, honestly, I'm really struggling with this because I believe that articulating my struggle and articulating the thing that I was really that wasn't a strength was actually a weakness. When in reality, I think that vulnerability and in our ability to articulate and have the self insight to know who you are, what that means, how it's applicable to your work and why your life is going to be built in that way. That is where real strength comes into where we can sit down and have an honest conversation about like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. I really have an issue with this thing. My life is really strained here. To speak that in confidence, I believe, is more representative of a strength than to, than to keep it in. But at the time, honestly, that was it. I just, I felt so weak in vulnerability because so much of my mind wasn't right yet in, the, in regards to knowing what true strength looks like. And, and I started, you know, personal development. I started going to, you know, the first things you do, you listen to podcasts like Your Amazing Show. You listen to, uh, you go to conferences, you do these things started getting around people. I started moving up in real estate and finding new clients, you know, people that can buy and sell $15 million homes have a different mindset. They've, they've had to work through things most of the time. And I started finding the patterns of how these people moved and they were, they were vulnerable, like confidently vulnerable. Like yeah. I really suck at this. Yeah. And hearing that, I thought, well, maybe this is okay. You know? <laughs> So it was, it was interesting for sure. Were there other patterns that you identified in these like highly successful people that were special? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the most apparent patterns was this concept of one degree of removal, which is everything that they did outside of, I'm talking about very successful, but not like a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett or something. Bill Gates has so much money that he can put his money into anything he wants and and put the resources around it to make it successful. I'm talking about the people who were very, 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 very successful, but weren't untouchable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which sounds crazy to have $100 million net worth, but that's still pretty touchable. Jeff Bezos is slated to be the first trillionaire since a lot of people are using Amazon now for from COVID. That's pretty untouchable right now in, in relation to, to realism. Um, and the reason I state that is because I started noticing these people and how they moved is they were one degree one degree removed. So for example, my issue, right? So I'll use myself as an example of a fault. I had, when I started making a little bit of money, I started thinking of opportunities, right? Yeah. So I had a real estate company. I had poured money into an apparel company. I had this coaching thing at the side, which really wasn't congruent at that time. I had all these different things. And the problem was, is I had one bucket of water, me. And I would pour into this and I would pour into this and I would pour into this, but nothing fed into one another. Yeah. And as I looked, I saw these successful individuals had one degree of removal to where you might pour into one and it trickles into the other. So for example, there was an individual that I had a pleasure of working with. Um, they were selling a multi-million dollar home. And uh, that's how we met is I was representing them on the sale and the buy. And he was a surgeon. He was on the board of advisors for the hospital that he was a surgeon at. He owned property, apartment property that he managed. His bank was the one that financed it. His construction company was the one that built it. You know, he owns biomedical patents that he was able to use in the hospitals and surgery. I don't know how he got that deep into it, but you talk about things being connected. An ecosystem. I mean, it was an ecosystem. And so many times I looked at my life, we looked at what other entrepreneurs were doing. I had recognized that. We're just trying to pour into opportunity instead of building one sustainable thing and then building one degree removed. So mm -hmm. I switched. Now I had sold off those other little pieces of companies that I had worked in. And at the time it was, okay, I saw that. Now I only have real estate and I only have, at the time it was just coaching. I don't even like the word too much anymore, but it, that's what it was called. And so then what I had done is I focused on real estate agents. And when they became great, I hired them. There's congruency there. And then, so the biggest, the other biggest takeaway was just moving in that one degree of removal to where you can set something in motion and that motion positively touches other things mm -hmm. in your life and in your work. Instead of I'm going to set something in motion here and then I'm going to run all the way over here and, and hope that this garden still grows. That was a huge revelation for me. And the way my life works now is I want everything to affect things around it or I don't do it. I just flat out won't do it. And, uh, and that's allowed us to carry great momentum as well because things can carry over. And in general, what you do is you help people identify their giftedness, which uh, can be a really tricky thing um, to do for yourself. So uh, how do you do yeah. that? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I have two philosophies that we live and work by. I do believe that burnout stems from a, listen, a prolonged misalignment between what you were created to do and how you actually spend your time. And so I identify giftedness through this concept I call threads of consistency, which is a deep analyzation of like we had discussed who you are, what that means, why it matters, and how it's applicable to your life and your life's work. And whether we like it or not, we will move in alignment to a gift and a calling. And it might seem natural, but it doesn't always look like how we expect it to look. Moving in alignment to a gift doesn't look like maybe I love music and I'm in the studio and I'm producing records. Sometimes what it looks like is I can always hit those notes. Sometimes moving in alignment to a gift is like you, Agnes, I'm, you're always the person that your friends can go to when they have something in, in need. Maybe you have a gift of communication and speaking to the spirit and giving truth and transparency and vulnerability and authenticity and confidence in moments where people are not that way. And you never recognized it because what it looks like is your friends calling you saying, I really need to talk to you. And you have no idea that those two things are connected. Mm -hmm. So it's finding these little components in our life that are connected and bringing light and truth back to that giftedness so we can start building an obedience and alignment to that instead of to the life that we've defaulted to, which usually looks like a stamp on your door, CEO, salesperson, something like that. So in a nutshell, it's much more complicated, obviously, in execution, but in a nutshell, that's where we start. But in the same breath, I also believe that personal development does go out the window when bills come in the door. I believe that you can be the best you all day long if you come home to a stack of expired bills 
it will detract your energy, your attention, and your ability to be the best you because we have these other problems. So in that same momentum, it's also the concepts of how do we build a profitable and sustainable model around a life that's inspiring, fascinating, and motivating. I how think do that's we always the challenge. <laughs> that's the challenge. And, and that stems back to some of that black and white. How do you master objections? Present yourself, sell. If you run a company, keep your employees inspired. Limit churn. So people that come into your work and then or come into your business and then they churn is where they eventually fall out after a certain period of time. How do we build systems and structures to keep that running so you can focus? And those two things in conjunction are, is in a nutshell what we do at OA now and what truly brings me fulfillment is creating that alignment and then igniting people to run with it. And we've had an opportunity to work with great, very large enterprise level companies that are running multi-hundred million dollar books of business, and then individuals that are just trying to find their first couple thousand and everything in between. So it's been a really inspiring journey to see people from so many different industries and walks of life start to truly be uh, live that inspiring, fascinating and motivating life. It's, it's incredible. And uh, so your company is called Obsessed, and there are two types of obsessions, the healthy and unhealthy ones. Can you right. tell us something about the difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I love the fact that you touched on that, because a lot of people, when they hear Obsessed, um, it, it hits a little weird, doesn't it? You start to think, oh, that's maybe a little gross. But I do believe, like you mentioned, there's two types of obsession. We have a healthy, we have an unhealthy obsession. And the unhealthy obsession is typically what people think of when they think of obsession. It's mania. It's, it's, it stems from these feelings of shame and guilt, inadequacy, mania. And it's a linear movement. It ignites and it starts with a need to overcompensate and overcome those feelings. You move in one direction and it usually ends in a lack of fulfillment and regret. So maybe you don't feel good enough. You have shame. And so because of that, you're trying to overcompensate for that. So you pour into your, maybe your school and because you're deep down, you don't feel good enough. So you're trying to appease where your identity is, which is in the recognition of your parents. So now you're pouring into school, pouring into school, pouring into school, pouring into school, and you spend 12 years of your life getting that PhD. And then you end in something that's unfulfilling and you have regret on the wasted time because what you were really trying to do was to overcompensate that feeling of shame and that guilt and that inadequacy. And in reality, while it looked on the outside, like you were so diligently pouring into your work, really what you were doing was you were living in the movement of an unhealthy obsession. And so I believe that healthy obsession, which is what I mean when I say obsession, I believe that healthy obsession is a cycle. It's a three-part cycle. I believe that it's an emotional mindset and a discipline. So I believe that obsession in short, and it's an emotion, which is a revelation, which is that gnawing at your being, at your soul, pulling you to do something different. Let's go back to that example of you staying in your work, you staying in your school, you diving into the books. It might be you spending such time diligently being a student, but in reality, there's a part of you that really wants to talk to people. There's a part of you that really wants to sing. There's a part of you that that's that, that pulling, that revelation. So it's first an emotion, which is revelation, which is a knowing that you can do more and be more and be elsewhere. The second is the mindset. And the mindset is a stage of preparation. This is the time to plant your seeds. Preparation does not always look like we expect it to look, like we had talked about earlier. Preparation can be that while you are in that work and at school, you're spending your evenings studying music and you're preparing for that first show and you're building relationships and you're creating a social presence and you're starting to move in alignment to that calling, even though the majority of your life is elsewhere. Preparation is planting the seeds that one day will come to fruition and then hoping that we have enough tools to actually water them to the point of fruition. You can't prosper where you're planted if you're not planted first. This is the stage of planting. So we've got the emotion, which is a revelation. We've got the mindset, which is a preparation. And we've got the discipline, which is the cultivation. Cultivation is a moment in your life where you start to actually recognize that what you've been doing is starting to pay off. It is not life gets good. It is that maybe as you've been working towards this concept of trying to lead the music in you and pour into other people that you have a moment where you can sing in front of 25 people and it sparks something in you. That's cultivation. It's a moment. It's not a day. It's not a year. It's just a, just a moment, right? My, my moment of cultivation with OA, that first one we had talked about was when, hey, do you coach? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And a bunch of people sign up. It yeah. was with the first Obsessed Conference, standing on stage and seeing that that room was actually full. Mm -hmm. It was these, these moments mm -hmm. and it's a cycle because what happens typically when you're in that moment is you usually think oh, I can do this now. 
And it goes back to emotion, which is revelation. So you have an emotion, mindset, discipline, revelation, preparation, cultivation, and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked and it's worked. And eventually you produce what's called saturation. And saturation is obsession overflow. This is abundance. This is when you wake up and you actually don't have to go to work if you don't want to. Your kids are taken care of. Your great grandkids are taken care of. And you love your home. You love your spouse. And you, this is that, that kind of idealistic stage that we're really shooting for, really, which is that yes. total fulfillment. Mm. Um, and so to answer your question, really, what we're talking about here is healthy obsession, which starts from an identification of what it is, and then, of course, who you are, and then we bring them together. And so much patience can be built in when you recognize where you're at in the cycle. You know, I was so frustrated early into my real estate career because I thought I was supposed to be in a stage of cultivation or saturation. I thought I was supposed to be reaping when in reality, I was holding my seeds and complaining that they hadn't sprouted. Really what I needed to do was shut up and plant and just be quiet and be disciplined enough and obedient enough to daily bring water back to that which I had planted. And it was in this concept of healthy obsession that that hindsight really came out. And uh, I believe this, if, if your listeners really to stay attentive to the healthy obsession that worked diligently, truly is what brings those greater feelings of fulfillment and success. And there's much, 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 much more to it, but in a, in a compact way, that's what healthy and unhealthy obsession is. And can you tell us something about the hard times that you had to go through that made you stronger in the end? Sure, sure. My first hard time was when I was driving a car that I didn't like and I couldn't pay an $800 a month apartment payment. And I was selling, selling homes. I was supposed to be successful, but in reality, I, I was really struggling just to get by. I broke down in a parking lot, all, ironically enough, of Target. It was late at night and uh, I was trying to get groceries. And I had truly, I had, you know, you know, hard times, right? You have to check your bank account before you go in and buy anything. So, yeah. And I'd recognized that I didn't actually have enough to get groceries and pay rent. And I just broke down, honestly. I was just just crying in the parking lot in the middle of the night, like, why am I struggling? And that first hard time and that recognition and that understanding that that memory of really, really hurting was what propelled me to really get going. Mm -hmm. The second one, which was important, stems from a bad partnership. My first company I'd built up, we were a, a small two or $3 million company built it up in about 11 months, work, work, work. And one day my partner said, you know what, uh, we're firing you from the company, we're firing you from the board, we can still keep you can still stay in the company if you decide to stay on for five or 10 years or something ridiculous. And then we'll give you an opportunity to buy your first franchise when we franchise your business at that time in a split that's in our favor. It was just ridiculous. It was extortion. You can't do that anyway. You can't tell a stockholder that they're that they have to force to sell their shares, things like that. Um, in reality, what was happening was I had three partners that were together. We were about to do a really big deal that had a lot of money at stake. And um, I truly think that they just wanted wanted the extra cash. Um, so that was the second time because I'd start, I went from there to struggle to a start. I mean, I wasn't good, but I wasn't struggling. I was really just figuring it out. And then everything fell apart. And I, I, I lost everything that I had built professionally out of all of that work, I got like six or $7,000. I mean, it was, it was nothing. And so I had to rebuild from there. And I, that's when I had learned about partnerships. That's when I had started. So I thought that's when I had started really that that was the time I really started immediately diving into these habits. Like I will not let this happen again. Learn to fight for what you want and learn to fight for what you want to keep. And that was really, really tough. And that's when I really started recognizing that development was so important because when I got out of that, I was angry. I was, I was mad. I was upset. I was, I was a person of faith. So I'd fallen into prayer, but I was praying in anger and I wasn't praying in faith. Mm -hmm. It really was. It was just like, God, I'm mad. Let me express that. Not you're going to disrupt my life. Where do you really need me to move type of thing? Yeah. And, um, and then the third, which was the last one, which is a partnership that I lost in one year, I lost half a million dollars of my own income on was the final kind of nail in the coffin for leaving the real estate. And that was the final piece of recognizing that importance of partnerships. That partnership is like a marriage. Like if we are not aligned, it is not going to work. Um, the third really most recent hard time was when that happened and everything got disrupted and, uh, 
the partner that I was with was that was the one that was a, a little bit abusive and uh, decided to to be very destructive when I made the decision to leave the relationship. And so what I learned through those times is a the size of your mistakes needs to be compounding. It needs to grow. Jeff Bezos says that the size of your failures does not grow. You're not moving at a pace that moves the needle. My first mistakes were hundreds, and then it was thousands, and then it was hundreds of thousands. Added up together could eventually be seven figures or more. Um, I know I'm going to fail again, and it's going to cost me millions of dollars because that's the trajectory of growth. Be okay with that. That was the first thing was recognize, be comfortable and committed. You don't, don't ever feel regret for what you've done. You can adjust and you can apologize. Don't be arrogant. Don't be a jerk. But I am not going to regret the decisions that I made with the information I had at the time to make them. And then the second component was that importance of learning how to fight for what you want and fight for what you want to keep, that those hard times you really need to embrace and you need to really deconstruct the anatomy of how you're moving during that environment when you're in survival mode, because those same disciplines can be applied in peacetime. But if you don't know, this is why so many businesses right now are struggling because of COVID. I mean, yes, of course, businesses are closed and whatnot, but, but I'm, not, I'm not getting out of the reality of the situation, but I'm speaking that a lot of owners don't know how to fight for what they want. They don't know how to fight to keep because they've never gone through a time where it is fight or die. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, going through that time, that going through that can really, really shift how you think and how you move. And what are some of the habits that you implemented um, that made you then later on more successful that really had a big impact on your life? Mm. A couple of small ones. The first one is this concept that is from the book, The Slight Edge, uh, which is the importance that starting to do something and not doing something takes the same amount of energy. Obviously, if you want to go to the gym, working out versus sitting on the couch doesn't, but when you're there, you'll do it. But the act of starting or the act of not starting takes the same amount of energy. So that was the first is, I don't need to know, I don't need to you know, build a calendar where I'm going to do all these things and, and think about the doing. I need to think about the starting because after I start, I'll do it. Last week, I made a, a video where I was really exhausted and I, I was getting ready to, to sit down and just kind of relax. I thought, you know what? I, I actually, I should go for a walk. I haven't worked out today. I need to. And I ended up walking and running for nine miles. And I started with complete exhaustion because once I was there in the momentum, I could do it. So the first habit, which I believe any listener can implement immediately was stop thinking about all the things you're going to do and start thinking about all the things you're, you're starting. I will just start the act of, of moving into the workout. I'll go to the gym, I'll go home, I'll just put on the clothes and start doing this thing. I will start reading the book. I will start actually caring and being present for my friends. You know, these things that we care about, we think about like, oh, I need to work out. No, you need to start. And then once you start, you'll be in the movement of of actually doing that thing. The second one, which is huge, which allows us to move very, 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 very quickly is you have to execute at 70% of information. Stop trying to get all the details right? It used to be called, one of our core values has shifted. It used to be called speed, commit first, figure it out later. That gets a little bit destructive, kind of bull in the China shop, things are breaking. Now we call it precision, which is to move swiftly and with accuracy, but we always execute at 70% of information. Stop trying to get all the details and start moving and in the movement, you'll figure it out. Again, that goes back to the start. You can accomplish so much more if you execute when you don't have all the data. And that can be really uncertain and scary. It gets expensive. You will make mistakes that cost you some money. But you'll be moving so fast that it makes those mistakes. It doesn't even matter. 2018, I told you about that mistake, cost me half a million dollars. I was moving so quickly, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. Not because like, oh, we're so good or anything, but because when you start moving so fast, if you're at 100 miles an hour, all of a sudden, that's way far in your rear view mirror. And there's so much more opportunity it can make up for that. So it's executing at 70% of information. It's you have to start, uh, start, stop thinking about doing the thing and start just starting the thing. And then the third is actually a, a completely different concept, but has been vital to moving for me, which is this concept that I got from Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always, which is called Loving the Person in Front of You. Like we are all uniquely gifted and talented and uniquely created to do amazing things. And just because we're different doesn't mean that one is better than the other. And our uniqueness and our talents and our gifts have an opportunity to collectively create a positive, sustainable, and lasting impact. And we, one of our core accountabilities at Obsessed Academy and with our families, we believe in loving the person in front of you. Say what you want. That's all fine and good. Love me or hate me. That's all fine and good. I don't need your validation, but I am going to move in grace, space, kindness, and love because that's how I sleep at night. And as funny as it sounds, so many people are fighting for what they want. Like I just mentioned, and they've got this deep mentality, almost anger, 
kind of like a screw you, I'm going to go get my piece. When in reality, you can move with much more certainty. You can move faster if your mind is not infected by the negativity of screw this person, I'm going to move. So that third piece of loving the person in front of you, if you can truly work on forgiving others, forgiving yourself, it starts with yourself, forgiving others and moving with a kindness and a grace, like loving a person in front of you is respecting who they are, even if you don't agree with what they do and what they say. We have people, there are some people that don't, that really don't like us and that's okay. That's totally fine. I don't have to be here for everybody. I respect who they are as people, even though I don't appreciate the attacks that they bring on to our brand and to our family. And you know, as you start growing, you're always going to get haters. But so many people return that hate with hate. And loving the person in front of you has been the thing that's allowed us to truly break off and move super, super fast. Because now there's such less friction. When my phone rings, I don't get anxiety anymore because, you know, it's, it's usually a good call, that type of thing. So those would be the three things that I would recommend for your listening audience so they could take and implement immediately. Because the beautiful thing is it takes very little effort. <laughs> awesome. Do you still have a last key takeaway, a personal insight that helped you grow you would like to share? Yeah, I think it's so important to reverse engineer what you're actually going after in those five areas I'd mentioned. Personal, you and yourself. How do you want your 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 body to look? How do you want your your yourself to operate? How do you want your household to run? Uh, spiritual, if you're a person of faith, how do you get deeper into that faith? If you don't have a faith, you're, you're agnostic or, or whatnot. It's a mindset. It's spiritual health, like your your uh, uh, mental stability. Financial, where do you want your money to come from? How do you want to earn it? Relational, the people that are important in your life. What do you want them to say about you when you leave the room? Uh, and then professional, how do you? What are the things that you believe? What specifically about waking up about your work, do you believe would put you in a situation where you wake up ignited and you come home fulfilled? I think the last key takeaway is look at those five areas and get deep and down into those areas and reverse engineer that because my life didn't start to substantially shift until I really sat down in full authenticity and transparency with myself about where I was at ideal or reality and what I wanted ideal. And I would create a list, those five areas. And to start to find where things align, start to find where they don't, then ask yourself, not why, but what specifically about this is creating an alignment or a misalignment. And then now you have Band-Aid areas that you can start solving. It's, it's literally so simple. Mm -hmm. So many people will blow up this idea of personal development. And in reality, it's, very, it's a very simple concept to just look at your life and reverse engineer what you want there. And so that's what I would, my final takeaway that I would recommend because it's easy to start it doesn't matter if you're already super high up in your level of growth or if you're just getting started. And it's very easy to continue. Good habits are ones that you can continue without always creating a bunch of friction in your life. And so that's where I would begin if you're, if you're listening to this and you're really figuring out your first step or your next step. If you haven't done that yet, uh, now is the time. And how can people get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, you can. Um, I'm very active on social media. Instagram right now is my platform. I'm Kind of upping my Twitter game a little bit, but I'm at real Evan Stewart. Stewart's with an S T E W A R T. I'm at real Evan Stewart on social media. You can find me there, um, or of course you can get engaged with with us and uh, with our company at obsessedacademy.com. Um, we've got amazing world changing conferences. We've got very uh, high level education for building that life you can be obsessed about, like we talked about, uh, and then plenty of opportunities and free resources for us to connect as well. So. Depending on if you like to read, write, uh, write, watch, listen, or disconnect on social, um, those resources would be great places to start. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And for everyone who's watching or listening, if you could find value in today's conversation because something really resonated with you, please let us know and make sure to share it with your friends on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening. If you don't want to miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and be sure to leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. And check out the show notes for a deeper dive on what you heard today.